Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode on Pebble Beach and the U.S. Open is brought to you by our friends over at Dratty. They've got an exciting new program. It's a monogram program. So they, it's a campaign, and you can go on the website, and you can add any, you know, any type of monogram to your to classic B Dratty polo. So it's really cool, you know, with family and the holidays, uh, you know, Father's Day coming up, you might not be able to get it for Father's Day, but birthdays, you know, at this point, uh, you're able to add this embroidery to the shirt. So say you have like a, you know, you want to add your dad's initials or your friend's initials or your friend's getting married and they're adding their initials, you can go on and add that to a shirt and make, you know, the standard stock B Dratty shirt a custom shirt. So all you have to do is go to bdratty.com and use the promo code fried egg and you'll get 20% off your order. So uh, I would definitely check that out um, at bdratty.com and uh, exciting week. Uh, they are in the merchandise tent. So if you're coming on the grounds, go, uh, go say hi to the bdratty boys in the merchandise tent. So today's episode, we sit down with Garrett Morrison, who is uh, the newest hire of the fried egg. So Garrett is a, now our managing editor and will be starting, uh, he just started in June. So expect to see a lot more uh, content from Garrett. He will be writing, um, he will be editing my hack words, and uh, he will be kind of uh, building out more editorial for uh, the fried egg. So should have a lot more uh, new stuff coming on thefriedegg.com and uh, enhance a lot of the stuff that we're already doing with the newsletter and podcast and uh, content in general. So very excited to have Garrett on and uh, excited for you guys to hear his thoughts on Pebble. He's lived out here for the last uh, couple years teaching at the Stevenson School, which is actually inside the gates of uh, Pebble Beach. So without further ado, here is Garrett Morrison and our our first of our pods from Pebble Beach. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. So you're moving to Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. Portland area. Portland area, just outside of Portland in a town called Happy Valley. And we could afford to buy a house there, which was the main motive to move away from Pebble Beach, which is not a place where we can buy a house. <laughs> and so we are packing up all our stuff and, and going north. That's that's exciting. What uh, have you ever been? Have you ever heard of that McMenamin's Pub Course Edgefield? Yeah, I have. I went on a bachelor party there. Like my best friend, uh, was bachelor party group of like college buddies that aren't real golfers, mm-hmm. and we had like the best time. Like you know, we had guys that never played golf that were like having a great time, mm-hmm. and it was so neat. It was like one of the coolest places I've ever been. What's the course like? I mean, it's not anything great, but it's just like so approachable. You you walk in and the 
the you know the bar is like the clubhouse yeah right. and yeah, i think it costs a dollar to rent a golf ball but then they give you you know just a putter and a wedge and the longest hole is like 70 yards and it plays like straight up hills and straight down hills there's some blind shots mm-hmm. and this little par three nice. and uh you know you hit off mats but it was it was so easy to play you mm-hmm. know and so fun because like i think we spent spent like three hours there and you hit, get any non-golfer out somewhere for three hours on a golf course it's kind of a big success right i like incidental golf that's sort of incidental golf like you yeah, you go to a, a place to to drink some beer and oh hey there's a golf course there maybe maybe we should play and people are into it right Mm-hmm. Who who wouldn't normally be into playing golf? Yeah. They have an eleven hole course and a twenty two hole course. Really? Yeah, and then it's like a uh, they do like McMenamins. I think is like a distillery brewery right. type place. Yes, it is. Yeah, there are other locations in Portland. There yeah. are like city locations of McMenamins. It's a whole thing. I think this yeah. one's Edgefield. Okay, so you got to check that out. Yeah, definitely for sure. Yeah. yeah. There are some good places in Portland. It's an interesting golf town because there's like a variety of courses. There are the kind of serious 18 hole courses that you would expect to be there. But then there are a few places here and there that are just kind of funky. Um, in Oregon in general, there's a lot of pasture golf. There's a lot of backyard golf, just families, random people who have built golf courses on their land. And uh, there's the Portland children's course that, that Seamus is working on right now. Um, that, that might be pretty cool eventually. And so it is a a really interesting like golf area because of the different options available. And it's a little bit undiscovered up there, even though Bandon is in the same state. I I feel like the whole Pacific Northwest is undiscovered. Yeah. Outside of like the places that have had a budget to pay for marketing and PR. Like, you know, everybody knows about Sylvie's because they did a massive PR thing when they opened. Gamble Sands, you know, Mm -hmm. they they push hard. But then there's all kinds of places like that, you know, Wine Valley, Mm -hmm. all the Dan Hickson stuff, you know. Um, And then you have all that Chandler Egan you're gonna mm-hmm. be you're gonna be deep in Chandler Egan. I, I'm gonna. It's the, the obsession is gonna grow. Yeah, because yeah. I, you know, Chandler Egan did the the first nine at Pacific Grove, and so I've I've always sort of been interested in him. Obviously, he did the work at Pebble Beach that everybody's obsessed with, but yeah, he was located in Oregon for a lot of his you know, kind of golf architecture career, and there's just a ton of Chandler Egan courses around, and he, he did some interesting work, for sure. He's from Chicago, you know, Chicago I know. Well, he's, yeah, always goes back to Chicago. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, everybody tries to move into these gates here at 17-mile drive. You're moving out. I know. Yeah, well, you know, the, the reason I'm here is complicated. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a teacher at a boarding school, or I was a teacher at a boarding school, I, I suppose I should say. And, um, and so we moved here because I got this job and because we decided to live on campus and I was a member of the residential faculty. And so we live here for free, essentially, which sounds like a really good deal. And it definitely is a really good deal, but it's the only reason that, that we're able to live here. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun, but uh, I'm, I'm also excited about, about the new adventure. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of listeners probably don't know, you know, that if they don't, if they're not on Twitter, if they mm-hmm. aren't, you know, reading the website all the time, 
uh, Garrett is our new managing editor of the Fried Egg. We're, we're growing. It's got a, growing got from, a, from one to two. Yeah. Got a tall task of we're doubling. cleaning up my, my garbage writing. <laughs> it's not garbage, Andy. <laughs> so, so uh, Garrett, I'm excited to have him come on here. And uh, so that's why he's moving from, from Pebble Beach, which is, uh, I almost feel for you. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it is kind of a, a golf mecca, obviously. It's, and, and people have pointed out that irony. You're, you're, you're going off to be a golf writer or golf journalist or whatever, and you're moving away from Pebble Beach. That doesn't seem quite right. Um, but it's obviously a great place to go on a vacation and to have like a once-in-a-lifetime experience. There are a few better places for that. But to be a local golfer in this area is a little bit weird because there are basically two golf courses that you can play on a regular basis affordably. Um, they, they don't have a good local rate at Pebble Beach? No, the local rate sucks. It's like $600. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's not a local rate. Um, yeah, so I, I've played a lot of Pacific Grove Muni, which obviously is, is one of my favorite places in the world, and, and that's great. Um, I play at Monterey Pines a good bit. And those are essentially the two courses that you can play on a regular basis. You can the local rate at, at Poppy Hills, the NCGA rate, is pretty good. But it's not like I'm going out to Spyglass every Thursday and playing a round of golf. You know, this is this is a spot for vacationers. It's not really, it's not really a golf spot for locals. Yeah, it's, it's ironic how like it, you know if you're. If you're not a resort guest, like, and just the whole area, because then once you get out, there isn't, a, you know, there's a lot of golf, but there's not a lot of golf that's like built for everyday play. No. And, yeah. you know, like if you're not a member at MPCC, mm-hmm. which is one of the most expensive <laughs> places in the world to yeah. be a member, right? Um, then, you know, there's, there's not much or Cypress Point, there's not much mm-hmm. for the, you know, everyday golf. Yeah, option. I totally agree with that. Yeah, the the places here are built to be destinations, which is really cool. But it it makes the dynamic of being here and being a, an obsessive golfer as I am uh, a little bit odd. So I'm actually looking forward to the options in Oregon and being able to go a number of different places, have places to go with my kids. Um, that'll be fun. What what got you back? You know, I know you kind of stopped playing golf when you were in grad school, and right. you, you know, fell kind of away from golf. What got you back into golf? I got back into golf after moving here, and just sort of taking walks around the area with my son, who was a baby at the time. So I'd have him in the stroller. And I'd be taking these walks around the Pebble Beach area, which is where the school I work at is located. Basically, the school is between Spyglass Hill and Poppy Hills, and Pebble Beach is just down the road. So when I'd go out in the stroller and take these walks, I'd see these awesome golf courses. And they seemed a little bit unattainable, but I, but I of course, knew about them because I had been into golf when I was younger. Um, and I had specifically been into golf course architecture, and so I had studied these courses in a way and, and kind of knew them and it was cool to see them in person just walking around the neighborhood. Um, then one day I was down in Pacific Grove again taking a walk with my son in, a, in the stroller and uh, I was at Silmar State Beach which has a, a great stretch of paths along the ocean and I, I was pushing him along one of these paths and Pacific Grove Golf Links came into view. 
the back nine at Pacific Grove Golf Links, which is routed through these natural dunes. Um, and I just thought that it looked amazing. It looked accessible. It looked like a place that I'd feel comfortable walking up to and playing, uh, even though I hadn't been out on a golf course for a while. And so I got interested in, in playing again. Uh, I played a little bit at Pacific Grove. There are members of the faculty here at the school who are really into golf, and they started inviting me out for rounds. And so I got my game a little bit back into shape, and pretty soon I was completely obsessed with the game again, just like I had been when I was 12 years old, you know. Um, and uh, and so that's essentially how I got back into playing. And you know, around late 2016, started a golf Twitter account and um, and began writing about the game, and uh, and that has snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, it's get back into it and everybody I feel like every I think that your story is a common one because I think so many people once they graduate college or go to college graduate college there's there's a lot of people that you know there obviously there's golf nuts that never fall out of it but like there are a lot of golf nuts that fall out of it because like early on in life it it becomes if you live in a city very difficult or if you're in grad school like or if you're once you're in college like college was probably the time I played the least amount of golf yes and and right after college because like it's just it it's expensive Mm -hmm. and it's hard to find the time at that time in your life yeah it's yeah no I, I basically didn't play at all between ages 20 and 32 and I, I never even had the impulse to, to go play. And yeah, I, I think part of it was the cost. And also part of it was just none of my friends played golf, yeah. right? Nobody I knew who was my age, who was in their 20s, played golf. And that definitely changed once I started working here and, and a lot of my friends were in their 30s and 40s. Um, and part of what they would do on the weekends sometimes is go out, find a group and, and play golf. Uh, and so that gets you back into it. But yeah, when I was in graduate school, I, I was in graduate school at Northwestern. So in Evanston, which is just North of Chicago. Um, and, uh, and there's, that's where Canal Shores is. And, um, you know, there's some cool affordable options around there. Obviously, you know, the golf well in the area, mm-hmm. but nobody I knew was going out to those golf courses, except for a couple of professors here and there. Um, and so I think that's a big reason why. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to go play by yourself. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. so with, uh, with you've been, uh, you're, you're the local here. Mm-hmm. We got this week, we got a big tournament going on in case yeah. you didn't hear, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I know you're moving, but Right, you know, there's an influx of people in in Monterey. There, there seems to be, the population seems to have increased recently. <laughs> yeah. yeah, traffic's a little worse driving yeah. around. Tra- traffic has become a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. So, what uh, what are your impressions? I know you know you've you've been out at Pebble. You you covered. Uh, you were out there for the AT and T. You played a media day, and then you've lived here, obviously. So you've lived on ground. So, right. what uh, what are you expecting this week at uh, the U.S. Open? Well, I think we're going to see a classic Pebble Beach U.S. Open. Basically, if there's not a whole lot of weather, the golf course will still be challenging, but relatively benign compared to, uh, say, Shinnecock Hills last year. Mm -hmm. And if we do get a little bit of wind, 
it'll get nasty really quickly. Um, you know, the, the golf course is hard. It's obviously narrow. They've been working on making the rough thicker. Uh, the greens are presumably going to be going to firm out as the, as the uh, week goes on. So, yeah, I mean, essentially, it'll be a hard golf course. But I think it'll be really familiar to people who have seen a lot of Pebble Beach tournaments. You know, they haven't done anything radical out there. Yeah, that's, a, I think, one of the things with Pebble is that you, you, it's the venue that requires, like, the least almost work from the USGA mm-hmm. because they know how it is that, you know, they've come here so many times that it's like, you know, they do this and they do this and then they're kind of set and ready to go. Um, what, what are your kind of general thoughts with how they present the course for this week? So they have obviously brought in the mowing lines a lot. You know, that's the main difference that you'll see between how Pebble Beach is presented normally during the Pro-Am and how Pebble Beach is presented during the, during the U.S. Open. And so it's a couple of the holes look a little awkward as a result. And you'll see bunkers kind of lost in the rough. You'll see holes that just seem like they should be wider um, using rough as a, as a penalty. Um, and so that's the, the main setup move that I've seen out there. Um, it was just like this during the Pro-Am, right? So they, they, the USGA came in and started doing its work a while ago. I believe we saw it during the U.S. Amateur like this as well, mm-hmm. right? That's when, yeah. right when they had started. You yeah. could start to see where they were yeah. narrowing up. Like specifically, I remember 11, which right. I think that's, a, that's like one of the downfalls of it is like, I think 11 would be, especially with the modern game, the way it is, one of the most compelling holes. Mm-hmm. If the, you know, when people watch Pebble this week, you can look at 11 and you can say, wow, that fairway should be double the size, mm-hmm. at yeah. least. Right. Maybe, maybe two and a half times the size. Mm-hmm. And you look at this, and it's, a, you know, a, it's kind of one of those, three, those shortish par fours, which... Right. It's not a short par four. It's not drivable, but it's it's one of those driving pitch holes that have become really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think like what's going to happen is people just are going to hit iron mm-hmm. up the left, and yeah. you know then or you know fairway wood up the left, mm-hmm. and that's that. Everybody's right. going to do the same thing. Whereas that green, the way it it sits, the angle of it, and the slopes of it you have an opportunity where driver up the right would leave you a really weird shot, but mm-hmm. people might pull driver to try and get that, you know, 50 yard shot because the mentality of pros has been banged into their head, get closer whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would be a, that's like one of those holes where it has the counterintuitive ability to challenge somebody that, that, does the status quo. Right. Yeah. So 11, just to, just to describe it, obviously it's a hole that plays uphill. It's about 390 yards. The green receives shots best from the left. There's the green is angled that way. It runs uphill that way. And there's a bunker uphill. Very much so. Yeah. So it's a a very small green. I believe the smallest green on the course, right to left, right over that bunker. So if you're over on the right, which is now, like 
you know, from where the right edge of the fairway is, there should be 40 more yards of fairway. Exactly. But, like, nobody's going to be over there, and that's Mm -hmm. where you have this really weird shot with the green running away. Right. Well, so the interesting thing that has happened in the setup is that they've moved the fairway over to the left, as you've suggested, right? So they've moved it to the good angle into the green, Right now, you don't really have a choice. You have to play basically the whole. Basically, told everybody the right where to yeah. hit the right, exactly. the correct spot. Bright to hit lights. It. Here you go. Yeah, and for the 2010 U.S. Open, I believe that they did the opposite. They yeah. moved it over to the right, which is which is just sort of it's sadistic. Even worse. Yeah, exactly. I would, I would, <laughs> you could argue that that's worse. And so maybe it's a good move that if they were going to narrow that fairway by half, that they move it over the other direction. But it's a good example of how the course becomes slightly less interesting. You know, the 11th hole is not necessarily the most brilliant hole in the world, even as it is. But the width of that fairway. And the way that the green receives from a particular angle does introduce at least some sense of lateral strategy. See, that's a, the thing, though, I think about it is like that's a that whole it, And this is something about golf courses like, you know, you just get done with a, a six hole stretch, eh, eight, eight hole stretch on the ocean. Yeah. Really nine if you count three. Mm-hmm. So you just go through like probably the most brilliant stretch in golf and everybody will bag on that hole but i think it's a brilliant hole it plays uphill it gets it's a connector hole mm-hmm. but it's got like it you know you just played like you know you just had you know if you wanted to compare it to a song you just had Jimi hendrix wailing away <laughs> on the guitar for like you know three minutes uh-huh. and, it, and, it, and it's time to just you know bridge something to our next our next interval and it uh-huh. and it provides like a a really different hole mm-hmm. than what you've seen the last, you know, six where you're playing up a hill, you're, you know, and it, you feel like you can get one after eight, nine, ten, which is among the hardest, you know, three hole stretches in golf. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's gettable, but you, you can also have a hard time on that hole. Don't you think it would be would it be more interesting or would it be just cliched if there were something actually guarding the left side of that hole so as to make the play over to the left less attractive? Because there's currently no reason not to go there, right? To me, it seems like so there's, there's like 70 yards about of, of width that you could have, right? Yes. Yeah. It's huge. So the it would make huge. sense. Like you, that would be like a great place for a, a, a center line bunker that skews uh-huh. left. Yeah. Right. That's, that's what I can, and this is a great example of the pebble beach discussion that a lot of people interested in golf course architecture have. It's a great course. Like to be clear, pebble beach is amazing, but there's this impulse that I have, and I try to fight against it a little bit, not to nitpick everything that I think is wrong with the course because it's so brilliant. And because it's in such a great setting, and because it also falls short in its presentation in a lot of ways, you, at least I have this tendency to go around thinking about what could be and to ignore what's actually there. The 11th is a good example. Because I just said a couple of minutes ago, I don't think it's that brilliant of a hole. And, and maybe it's not fully what it could be, but it's a good hole. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really well good played. Hole. It's yeah. well well placed in the round. Yeah, yeah. like and for the land that it goes, it's you know probably it, it jaunts across some of the least interesting land on yeah. the golf course, right. and it's very you know simple. It's like 
you know, two would be an example of some of the least interesting land on the golf course. And they mm-hmm. have one of the boldest, you know, they have some of the boldest stuff there with that sure. Sahara bunker. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, what do you, what do you think about in general? So like a lot of people will be like, Oh, the inland holes aren't that great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that just saying in a blanket way, the inland holes aren't great is an impoverished take <laughs> like that. That's not, if you play those holes, you see that at least some of them are obviously really good. Um, some of my favorites would be three. I mean, if we're considering that in the in, in hole, but that's a really good hole. 13 is one of my favorites uphill par four um, with you know, a fairway and a green that use the slopes of the land in, in really good ways. 16 is a fun hole to play. You know, there are a lot of interesting inland holes that if you just take them for what they are and don't try to compare them to what's on the cliffs are, are great holes. At the same time, I do think that there are some weak inland holes right mm-hmm. now and some just okay ones. And maybe that's a little bit disappointing, but it also serves as a contrast for what's out on the cliffs. Um, so I don't think 12 is a great hole. I don't think 15 is a great hole. In fact, 15 really could use some work right now, but they've got a couple pop bunkers out there that just yeah. like, it's like, what, where, where did this come from? Arnold Palmer. Yeah. I believe. <laughs> I think the answer to that, that was a more of a rhetorical <laughs> question, but you know, I, I'm glad that you you gave me the exact answer. That, yeah, yeah, but like, you know, they just pop up, and you're like, wait, this doesn't really fit here. It doesn't no, fit the style. It's like, like the stylistic, and that's yeah. like the one of the crazy things to me is yeah. that of you know a place like this should have, if anything, it should have eye candy. It should be mm-hmm. like the most eye candy spot in the world. Right. But it, it, from a from a golf architecture standpoint, it like couldn't be further from eye candy. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like eye, eye source <laughs> all the way around with like the, yeah. the there's mismatched uh, bunkers. There's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's just a field of bunkers out there. And they, those all appeared in the first decade of the 2000s, in the first decade of the 21st century. That hole used to have very minimalistic bunkering. Um, in fact, it didn't really have any fairway bunkers. There was maybe one about 30 yards short of the green and a couple greenside. But, um, of course, Pebble Beach started getting anxious about how it was being played by the pros. By one pro. By one pro in particular. That's um, the crazy it, thing. One yeah. pro. Yeah. Yeah. Initials TW. Yeah. It, it's the way that he was playing the course uh, freaked him out and all of a sudden all these bunkers appeared the reaction was to add bunkers rather than add length because there's not much more length to be added out there a lot of bunkers appeared in the first decade of the 2000s and not just on that hole but other holes if you just look at the google earth historical imagery you'll see the response to uh, to the distance explosion and to and to tiger it's it's interesting because I think it kind of changed the ethos of the course in the sense of like <clears throat> it went from a course that was challenging in a very subtle and nuanced 
form where the challenge came from these small greens that those small greens really freak out really good players more so than the average player because the average player's only going to hit a handful of greens every round. And then you throw in uneven lives, which a lot of times, you know, if I'm playing with a, a 20 handicap, I'll be like, hey, you know, you chunked that because the ball was like three inches above your feet, so you should just choke up, you know, because the club was way too long. And they're like, oh, I didn't even realize that. And, like, I think about it because, like, if I have a wedge from, an une- from like, a, a side hill lie with a three inches above, I'm, like, freaking out. I'm, right. like, thinking, like, how far right am I aiming because the ball goes way left off this lie with a high lofted club, mm-hmm. you know, and this is like the type of challenge that the pebble presents is you never have a flat lie and you're hitting into these little tiny targets. And by, by narrowing and adding bunkers, it just removes some of the thought mm-hmm. from it because it just started to become more of a uniform, this is hit it here, hit it here, hit it here test. Right. I, I think that's true. And and covering some of the fairway in rough covers up some of the most severe lies that you might have in the fairway. Yeah, that's a great point. Adding bunkers in addition to that on both sides of the green and both sides of the fairway removes uh, removes some of the places where you might play your ball and get in trouble. Um, you know, a, a common move in the first decade of the 21st century at Pebble Beach was to add a bunker on the other side of the green or add a bunker on the other side of the fairway when there was already a bunker just on one side of the fairway. At a lot of holes at Pebble Beach, there would be that bunker on one side of the fairway and a bunker on one side of the green that would dictate the strategy of the hole. You know, play close to the bunkers and, and you'll have better angles. Um, by adding bunkers on both sides, your vision is directed at the middle of the fairway a lot of the times. You're not trying to play to the edges so much. And when you don't play to the edges, you're not getting some of those crazy bad angles that you might have found previously. It's, it's something that it, it like narrows your focus. Right. Like it's like, a, you know, I think one of the things that and I, you see it when you play, say, a Tom Doak or like a Bill Cor, um course. And I remember, you know, it's like when you leave, when they leave a side of the green open, your view, your eye gets drawn there mm-hmm. because really good golfers think about where they can miss. And if you have less places you can miss, it narrows your focus in a way, if that makes sense. Totally. And, and a good example is the fourth hole. Yeah. Kevin Moore has talked about this on Twitter, where that fairway is normally very wide. Mm-hmm. It extends out to the left, away from the cliffs. And when the fairway is that wide, you're thinking, maybe I should go left here. Yes. Maybe I should play an iron toward that bunker out to the left instead of risking the cliffs. And on that hole, I don't think that's that good of a play. I think mm-hmm. you should probably just hit it up the gut. Um, and let the slope of the fairway take your ball a little bit to the right. And it's really not that risky of a shot. You'd have to hit a really bad shot to end up on the beach. So when they take that left portion of the fairway away, you're just thinking, that's my option. I better just put it up that part of the fairway. I don't have the option to play left. And so now everybody's going to be approaching the hole 
in what's probably the strategically or the tactically correct way. Um, and it, it makes it, a it, less it homo- homogenizes the product of the golf. Of yeah. golf. I agree with that. At the same time, so we're saying all these things that could be better. So we've fallen into yeah. the trap. Exactly. Again. I know. So I, I know that I know that. So I want to ask you, I know that the take that Pebble Beach is overrated annoys you a little bit, right? Yeah, it Could, does. So, so expand on that a little bit. Well, I, I think it's in terms of when I think about overrated golf, like, you know, I don't think Pebble Beach falls into the category of necessarily overrated. Maybe it's a little high for where it should be in the rankings, right? I guess that's in term overrated. But that's with we're talking about rankings. You know, like, and that's talking about rankings, which is like, you know, the worst thing to be talking about, because like, I think it's just completely trivial to rank a course. It's like, oh, you know, well, like uh, my ranking is going to change every day of the week. Like if you ask me tomorrow, like I'll have a different favorite course in Chicago, you know, and then you ask me the next day, I might go with somebody else. It just depends on what mood. But anyways, like with Pebble, like, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable it's a it's an unbelievable golf course with an unbelievable like the the assets the golf course has which we've already touched on like the incredible land movement and the routing the way it uses it you know the and the greens you know are diabolical like the golf course at its core and and this is maybe part of why I think this way is that I'm always a dreamer I like I dream and I think past like I, I, I'm able to be like, well, they can just spruce that up. They'll fix that. And, and I think about what a golf course could be a lot of times rather than what it is in this current state. But but Pebble Beach is a just I think like a, a master class in like the why, you know, the inability to move dirt has yielded the best, you know, the inability to move dirt at a massive scale yielded the best golf courses because the lay of the land, like in so many had Pebble beach gotten built 50 years later, um, like one of its neighbors, we would see a lot of flat fairways. Like we would see this incredible topography on these sand dunes flattened. Now, like there are a lot of things that they could do. And they could, but like at the end of the day, like the, I always think back to the business side of it. It's like they are jammed and filled every, every day, regardless of what they do, which is crazy. To why me. would they change yeah. anything? Like what? So like, why would you change if this is that, um, that being said, like why, you know, my pitch to them to change would be like, listen, like your golf course, the architecture, the look of it doesn't fit the vibe of what you're trying to do like you know like anybody that has an eye for golf architecture i mean it would be like if you put like a 1970s you know if you replace the lodge with like 1970s like you know architecture you know cookie cutter architecture um you know if you put that building there like and maybe that's the way you would have to pitch them is that super superimpose you know a 1970s designed like urban building in the lodge's position and say, this is what your golf course is to anybody that has a clue about golf course architecture. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the way it's being presented. Um, but from like the, the idea of the, of the golf course, the, the decisions, the way it makes golfers feel. And the one thing I will say is I played in this, um, I played in this event this spring with a group of skill level players. And we played all three resort courses, Spanish Bay, Spyglass, and Pebble. 
we had a we had a 15 handicap in the group and the place that the 15 handicap had clearly the best chance and clearly like played the best you know you was was pebble beach and i thought about it i've thought about it a ton you know there was the least like obvious hazards out there you know he could run the ball up onto greens missing short which is where you know a 15 handicap misses more than long almost never gets you in trouble you know like and then he could pitch up and make putts and he gets on the green he could make putts and to me that's something he played by far the best at pebble beach and uh, compared to the other two and then you know we played cyprus the next day he played really well at cyprus but at spanish bay it, he played very well for a little stretch but then like the wind picked up and you could tell he had no hope and at spyglass he had no hope all day you know it was just beating him over the head with the same you know asking him to hit the ball further than he could and and higher and longer than he could all day um and to me, that's the brilliance of Pebble Beach because at Pebble Beach, I was the most uncomfortable I was at any of the courses because I was always like fidgety about, oh, this lie, I, I don't really like this wedge shot. Like this just seems like, and your eye just like you're thinking about all the places you can miss it because of that lie. Like, you know, you, when you, when you, if you make it more simulation, which is, I think, what we see week in week out on tour a lot not necessarily like last week we were actually in a good stretch of tour golf lately like a sneaky good stretch between colonial we had byron we have uh hamilton um it's a good time of year yeah like we've had a good stretch but like for the most part we see like if you just took these guys from the range and put them on a golf course that's what we're seeing and like pebble beach is like the complete antithesis of that like if i was getting ready for pebble beach like i'd be hitting a lot of side hill eye shots right and like getting in like that's like the, the complete opposite of what you do on a driving range yes right well if you're if you spend most of your time on a driving range you'll find yourself really frustrated at pebble beach mm-hmm. and to return to your point earlier about how if pebble beach were built 50 years later everything would be flattened I think that's really true because Pebble Beach is built on this slope, right? Everything slopes toward the ocean and it's really consistent. And so probably the thought of a modern architect would be, well, this is not ideal. There's not much variety inherent in this movement of the land. There might be some unfair lies in the fairway. We better flatten at least a few of these. And then the golf course would have suffered as a result. But because they couldn't do that in 1919, Jack Neville and Douglas Grant just found ways to use that slope in many, many different ways. If you go through the golf holes at Pebble Beach, you'll see a pretty balanced variety of ball below your feet lies and ball above your feet lies. You'll get just about as many of one as the other. Some holes go uphill, some holes go downhill. And you that know. is kind of like that speaks to the brill- the the un- unseen brilliance of the inland holes in a way because they balance the the um, on the water holes that mostly play in one direction with right. the left to right ball below your feet lies. Yeah, you have fade lies on or for a right hander, you have fade lies on six, eight, nine, and ten, mm-hmm. and then when you go back the other direction, it's playing across the slope in another direction. And you have a lot of, for a right-hander, draw lies. 
Yeah, it's it's balanced out there. And so the routing, you know, the routing of Pebble Beach gets a lot of attention. I think it's it's widely regarded as a great routing, but it's thought of as a great routing primarily because of how many holes it's able to get out on the yeah. water. But that's not at all why it's a great routing. It's because of how the holes play and how the uh, the slopes uh, the slope of the property is incorporated into the strategy of the hole. Yeah, I think the, the that that idea with the the movement of the land is in the in the small targets is prevalent at the majority of the golf courses that we would consider the the great championship golf courses in America. Right. Like, so Augusta. you got Augusta. Everybody's going to be like, "Oh, well, those greens are huge, but the targets are tiny." Right. So you, you have know, to hit the right section of the green. Yeah. Or else you're, it's basically like chipping because yeah. it's going to be very, very, very difficult to two-putt. Um, Shinnecock, yeah. same thing. Tremendous land movement, and the greens are big, but the targets become smaller. And they, not all the greens out there are huge, but they're, you know, like, you know, one is like, you know, you're hitting from, you know, pretty flat. One's actually one of the flattest, but that's a tiny target. Ten, you know, you've got a, a, a tremendous slope, and then that, that that green just sits there and it's like a, a, a tiny little perch that you're like, oh, how do I hit it onto this tabletop? Mm-hmm. Um, but with with that, you know, that land movement and small targets. And and what's amazing is like Shinnecock's one of the most playable courses for uh, for ladies in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's from one the of beginning. The, yeah. One of the most difficult golf courses you can put a professional male golfer out onto. Right. These courses have stood the test of time and there's a reason why. And so there are a lot of lessons that, that we can learn from Pebble Beach. And I think that when you're watching the telecast this weekend, what one thing to look at would be how the players are addressing the ball. Because it doesn't always register immediately. You don't always notice that the ball is way below the feet of a player when you're just watching a telecast. But I think you'll be able to tell. I was just thinking about Pinehurst number two, too. It does the right. same thing where we ha- you have those tiny little targets and the, the Sandhills of Carolina has a really nice movement to it. So you're hit and you're rarely hitting from that flat lie and you're hitting these small, tiny targets. And that's like and that's another course where people are like, why is it? Why can't why can't more courses? Why can't we have more championship courses like Pinehurst number two? And it's like, well, you have to have a combination of really great land that people don't you know, try and fiddle with and make fair, and then you and then have greens that... Now for a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is powered by TD Ameritrade. Whether on the course or in the market, it helps to have a second set of eyes to keep you on your game. That's why TD Ameritrade's Trade Desk is here to help you gut check your strategies so you always feel confident teeing up a trade. Visit tdameritrade.com slash fried egg to learn more about what their trade desk can do for you. Member SIPC. Now back to Garrett Morrison. So why, why this is a, a bigger question, is like, why don't we have more golf courses built like that? I don't know. <laughs> well, the concern with fairness came, came in in a big way at the same time that the ability to move a lot of land came in, right? 
I guess that's it. Because when, when you see these fairways that are tilted extremely one direction or the other, a lot of people will think, well, I hit it in the middle of the fairway, and it's not fair that I've got the ball way above my feet. And so maybe that's one reason. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you have any theories? Because there, there are only a few of them, right? These yeah. big, brawny championship golf courses that have existed for 100 years and somehow are just as challenging for the best players as they were years ago. I think maybe also not only just fair and I, I bang on fair a lot, yeah. but also the, I think maybe less time and thought went into routing when you could move dirt because yes. you weren't thinking about like, okay, this is a really, you know, tough portion to navigate. We could just dynamite and blow this up and reshape it is what people thought then. You know, it's like we can change the land. So like, you know, we can route this however we want because we can change the land um, versus like, you know, the ability not to change the land forces you to, you know, route in a certain way. It forces you to use some ingenuity. It's the old uh, old uh, maxim that restrictions enhance creativity, you know, not not the other way around. And there are some restrictions at Pebble Beach, right? It might seem like there there aren't because the course is such, has such a huge scale, but the course doesn't just wander wherever it wants. It basically yeah. stays in this footprint. And if it were built in the modern era, one, maybe land would have been moved, but also maybe the golf course would have gone just wherever it wanted to. And that's what a lot of modern golf courses do. They just kind of wander out into these places, going wherever they want to go. You know, we can, we can make it work. But some of these older golf courses that we're talking about had more limited property. You had to work with the same set of topographical features and use them in a bunch of different ways. And that's where their uh, beauty and challenge comes from. Um, you know, we've, we've talked before about focal points on golf courses, places where holes return to the same portion of the property over and over again. You don't get that on golf courses that just wander off into parts unknown, yeah. right? You, you and Jeff Ogilvie talked about this. You only get that feeling of returning to the same place and getting it to know it again when you have a limited property because you have to do that. And so there are just so many ways in which the restrictions that were imposed on golf courses built 100 years ago actually created forms of challenge and beauty that you can't just manufacture. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And it's, I was, yeah, I mean, in, in Pebble has that where we have some focal points and, and, and you know, you've got that section where three, 14, six are all kind of like that little point there where there's, you know, a nice little ravine. Yeah. And then you've got, you've got the, the stretch back where, you know, 10 T and, and 12, like, you know, you had that certain way and obviously it's a little bit different. It's, it's got a little bit of an out and back, like a, a lynx land, right. which is, which it is, is different. But like, obviously they really wanted to maximize that coast and, and, also, they had restrictions in terms of like the plan because they had to fight for it not to be all houses in the first place. Yeah. So I, they didn't, they weren't afforded like you know the ability to play up into the forest or or down, and not that they would have wanted to, but you know that's that's 
It was a great point you just made about like the restrictions because I start to think about because then you you know we had an era and Jay Blasey told me once and it was a really good uh, comparison is like is that in a way it almost like followed like how interior design where like in the 50s 60s 70s like what was in vogue is like houses with very like defined room spaces Mm -hmm. and very closed off like treed like corridored holes would be like defined room spaces like this is the kitchen this is the living room this is the family room but like today you know we've gone back to this like the the most comfortable houses are the kitchen that flows into the great room and living room and it and it, and that i think is a really good but pebbles always been that because like you get out you know once you play one and two you hit three you make the turn to four and then four you're like all of a sudden everything opens up and you're like whoa here it is. Yeah, it, it opens up, and you see it for the first time when you play those holes along the cliffs, and then you see it again when you yeah. come back, right? Come back on top. You, of you get to review what you have experienced in holes 12, 13, 14. That view from the 14th green is just a great way to close out that portion of the golf course, and then you're taken over to another part of the property um, to, to finish up, right? Yeah, and I can't even, now that I think about it, like that's another aspect of it being such a great championship course is that the intimacy of it, you know, like whereas I can't think of a like somewhere I love watching championship golf that that is like a, a, a corridored off, like very siloed, you know, where like, you know, somebody's over here and like it's there's something about where when somebody's making a surge and they're five holes ahead of the leader who's playing, you know, uh, nine and they're on 14, like them, them being like in the same vicinity, there's something about that. Right. It's like the energy within the tournament. If you just stand near the sixth fairway, eighth fairway, ninth tee, that area, and, and 14 is kind of running by those holes a little bit up the slope, you'll see a ton of stuff. It's, it's a hub of activity, right? And that's, of course, where they put the, the Patron tent and all that, all that stuff. But aside from that, you'll just see a lot of golf, right? One thing that drove me nuts was the 12th hole. All those trees they have there. Along the left side? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I was yeah. looking at it. I was like, God, they're just blocking an unbelievable view of the ocean. Like, and this goes back to what I was saying about like how, like, you know, from an architecture standpoint, like almost everything they do is so against their like culture as a company. Right. Like, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's the same thing behind the third green. Right. And maybe yeah. those are necessary plantings there. They're just these hedges that block the first view that you get of the ocean coming down that fairway. Yeah. You know, you've just got buildings and hedges where there just used to be op- an open vista. Mm-hmm. And just imagine teeing off on the third hole, right? It's a severe dogleg left, and, it's, and you can't really see the ocean yet when you're standing on the third tee. You've just come across the road from the second green. You hit your tee shot, and it's kind of a blind tee shot because you're going around some trees, and you walk out onto the fairway, and then boom, you look down the fairway, and you can see all the way to the ocean. You can see the 17th green out there. Unbelievable part of the round, a really amazing, adventurous part of the routing. 
and it's a little bit blunted now because of the things that block it. And that, that, that's just presentation. That third hole is a great hole. It's a really good hole. Yeah. And it's, it's all about that green orientation, right? Mm -hmm. It's a fun drive. You know, you can kind of sling it down there. And if you, if you're willing to launch it into the, to the unknown, you'll definitely get an advantage. And then you've got the ball above your feet and you've got a green that receives shots best from, you know, from a fade, you know, shape for a right-hander. So you've got this draw lie and a green that, that seems to beg for a fade. Yeah. What, what are some uh, other holes other than three that you're keen to watch? And uh, We've already water. talked about yeah. four. It's one of my favorite holes on the golf course, and players can approach that hole in a number of different ways. Uh, during the Pro-Am earlier this year, in the final round, Paul Casey and Phil Mickelson showed up on that tee Paul Casey, I believe, was leading by two or three, and they had just kind of, uh, you know, fought to a draw on the first three holes, and then they came to the fourth tee. Paul Casey played out left conservatively. Phil Mickelson pulled out a three-wood, hit it about 300 yards up the fairway, um, and had a 50-yard pitch into the green. He birdied that hole. Paul Casey parred it, and it was off to the races. Phil Mickelson ended up shooting 65 and winning the tournament. But I thought that that moment on the fourth tee was a, a hinge point in the tournament. You know, it was you know a place where uh, that's, a, that's something... a hole that you're looking to make a birdie. Yes. Yeah. Like it... if you want to win the golf tournament, yeah. It's, it's like that, for. you know, probably plays to three, seven or something. And mm -hmm. it's one of those holes, like it's not quite a three and a half, like where you, it's a, but like a three, seven and like, you know, and the other thing, when you don't make a birdie, there's a, there's all of a sudden a, a, a stress, like your stress level, your pulse almost goes up a little yeah. because you know, you just, you didn't get one where you could get one. Right. And it's the first hole on the cliffs, right? Yeah. And, and so there's already that heightened sense of, of here, here comes too. the round. It's like a psychological thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it gives you like, it discomforts you a little when you don't make birdie there. And then you're on that, you're in that exposed cliff area where, you know, any miss, any big miss, right. Is, is, right. A, is disaster. There's yeah. something about the psychological aspect of the cliff. Mm -hmm. It, you know, whether or not you want, it's not the same as like a Creek. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah, and this is why it's silly when people say, well, if Pebble Beach weren't on the ocean, it wouldn't be considered that great of a course. Well, it's the whole thing, right? Is <laughs> those cliffs and how raw and intimidating they look. Yeah, like you yeah. just don't want to go anywhere near them. No. I think no. it might also be something about like human nature, like how you get uncomfortable by cliffside. Yeah. Oh, it would be, yeah, because you feel like you could fall off right? yeah and it, and it and it becomes a mental thing in your swing as much as you might be telling yourself to play the right shot in the middle of your swing your body is gonna do something that that you don't want it to do and and for me the response is to hit a lot of balls to the left yeah. away from the cliffs that's I, yeah i i hit a i hit it into the on my second shot i hit it into the the short on eight mm-hmm um, like short right, and I had to hit the drop from the cliff, uh, from like just right in front of the cliff. 
Yeah. And I was like, God, this is really, I don't like hitting a shot from here. Like I felt like, you're like, you're nervous about the club flying out of your hands and you're like, why would I be nervous about a club flying out of my hands? When has that happened? Never happened in my life. (laughs) Right. Like, but all of a sudden I'm like two feet from a cliff and I feel this sensation that you don't. And I, that's what made me think about like the subliminal thing. And it'd be interesting to ask like a, a mental guy if that, if there's anything to that. Sure. Um, that's it, 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 this, you know, we've got, in two years, we've got Torrey Pines, which, like, one could say that Pebble uses the cliff so well, like, because of the way, so, you know, a lot of, and I think this is something that would happen today. If somebody came in and rerouted Pebble, they'd figure out way, more ways to get greens on cliffs, but we'd have less playing area on the cliffs. We might have more holes on the cliffs if you rerouted it but there'd be less significant playing area on the cliffs. Sure, yeah. Where, like, I know I've t- talked to some people where they've said, like, I don't think the routing's that good because, like, you, you're done with the... You, they, don't, they don't have as many holes as they could on the cliffs. Right. Yeah, because 9 and 10 are long holes that just stretch out and uh-huh. use that whole stretch of coastline. Mm-hmm. But the way they use it is so brilliant. Yeah. Right, the, the priority... Uh, another architect's priority might be I want to maximize the views the and number pictures of pictures that people could take. Yeah. And Pebble does maximize the cliffside playing area for sure. And, and that's part of it is the, is the vistas and the impact of, of being up there, which can't be discounted. That's part of what makes it a great golf course, but That'd the be, way it uses it, the cliffs. It'd be awesome. interesting to look at like say band and dunes. Yeah. Amount of cliff space and like amount of, 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 legitimate playing area on the on the cliffs pebble beach uses way more (laughs) and it's also it's a different the coastline is different in its nature yeah you get such variety of coastline at at pebble beach at bandon you're up in the stratosphere right those cliffs are huge and and there are holes that play along the edges of them and and use them brilliantly and everything but at pebble beach what you have is uh you know, four or five different phases of cliffside playing area. Four and five are along Stillwater Cove, which is just so beautiful and peaceful. It's like this marine sanctuary. There would never be a golf course built there now. And and the cliffs are kind of medium-sized. And then on six, you climb up to this, uh, the famous peninsula out there where you're just way up in the air and you're on this uh, spectacular bluff. And then, you know, from the sixth green, you play down to the ocean on the seventh. Then you go across a huge chasm on the eighth. So six, seven, and eight have this, have this natural feature of enormous size. Then you get to nine and ten, and it goes back to kind of medium-sized cliffs where you're playing along Carmel Beach, and you see people walking their dogs, and you're, you kind of get a view of what that town is like out there. Okay, and then you go back, and then 18 is right on the seawall, right on the ocean. Yeah, There's variety cliff. of cliffside locations. Yeah. It's not just all one thing. And that's, I think, what makes Pebble Beach so beautiful and interesting. Is it, It's not just that it's on the ocean. It's, it's that the particular oceanside property that it has is more varied, I think, than any golf landscape on the ocean that I've ever seen. Yeah, that's in in Torrey Pines is is pretty uniform. How yeah. high? It's know, way up high. high. Yeah, you can't really get to the edges in a lot of places mm-hmm. at, at Torrey Pines. Yeah. yeah, 
That's a good. That's a great point. I never thought about how the the and that plays into the the unbelief. And this is what you know that take of like pebbles overrated is like that that plays into like that. Well, that's a that's a kind of a lazy take because there's so much. Like once you get out there, like that's pebble is overrated is almost a take of somebody who hasn't really been to pebble and like and seen what and you know have a full grasp of like what you know is out there because like you've got up and down you've got side hills and then you have the varied settings of the cliffs and with that like Stillwater Cove it's called Stillwater Cove for a, for a reason right. like within you know just 600 yards the the weather conditions can be like significantly different like the the type of wind you're facing like cuz like that is what's really cool is like you get out to that point on six and it's just so, it can be so raw out there. Very exposed. Yeah. And versus four and three where it's much more docile and, and, uh, and then you hit that, that scape. That's, that's also like an interesting aspect of, of pebble, which is like how it paces itself in the round with the, with the component of weather, like where off the bat, you're, you're, you're kind of protected and then in the middle of the round, it's going to throw everything it's got at you. But then it allows the close to be less about the weather and more about the guy that can survive that really, you know, that that when they throw everything in the kitchen sink at you. And then it gives you some opportunities coming down the stretch to score and finish with, you know, some great shots that separate you. Yeah, that's a really good point. When the wind kicks up, Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get much harder than that when the wind eight. is blowing in the prevailing yeah. direction. Um, wow, those holes become really, really hard and really intimidating. And I like how it's right in the middle. Yeah, you go through this trial yeah. and you come out the other side and you have an opportunity for, for some heroism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's a, it's got that that feel like I, I think that like Yale has this feel and um, it's, it's like, it's an adventure in yeah. a way. And I think this, the setting of it and the way the, the scale of the land, and this is, you know, scale, I think gets thrown around way too much. But like when we say, when I say scale, like I'm saying the enormity of it yeah. is that it makes you feel like, and, and there's no better depiction of the enormity of it than like the picture that you see of a guy walking up that six, um, you know, walking up six up the big hill to the green. Yeah. Where like it's an adventure to hit a long iron from an uneven lie up over that. Right. Like, You're not thinking the sixth hole is not necessarily about lateral strategy. It's not about the analysis of how the architecture is, is promoting certain angles. It's just about get your ball on the short grass and then have the guts to get up that natural landform. Yes. And, and that's like the, and that, that hole is a microcosm of the course where it's an adventure, like, and you have this start where it's, you know, you're, it's easing you into this, and then all of a sudden it just like goes full octane. And then, you know, 18 is almost like a perfect, perfect way to close because then it becomes like, do you have the guts? Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to we're going to ask you one last time 
to pull this off. Like you, you got to take this on and you can't bail. Like right. you have to commit and hit this shot. And, uh, and that's, I think that's the thing that's really neat about Pebble Beach is like the idea of the journey. When right. You, and, and that's what golf courses that go out and in, I think have that ability to be a little bit more like that than a golf course that has returning nines. There's something about like when you go out, like it's not like nine, it's not time for a break. Like you're out there, like, and you're, you're continuing to go on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. That's that's Pebble. Who, so what what are you uh, what are you watching for from a player perspective? Well, at Pebble Beach, I think a lot of different players have a chance. You know, at the PGA Championship, we talked about how only a few guys could win that tournament or really had any chance. I think what we'll see here is a setup that will look to people in a lot of ways superficially as similar, but it's a completely different kind of golf course. And so I think that honestly, so many different players could do well at Pebble Beach. It just depends on who's striking the ball well. The reason it's so different from Beth Page is I think pretty simple. It's just a shorter golf course, right? And it's the gonna, greens are more severe and smaller. Yeah. So right. where like you could be less precise at Beth page and get away with it on your approaches. That's true. Yeah. No, you can't get away with any kind of leaking shot at pebble, right? If you're hitting off one of those hanging lies and you let the ball move too much or you don't account for the wind uh, enough, then yeah, you're dead. So you have to be super precise, but you know, Pebble is just going to be a touch over 7,000 yards. So this is an incredibly small ballpark for these guys. I think where where the action might be is not just the usual sub- suspects. You know, Brooks Kepka is probably going to do well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, we're probably going to keep picking him until he stops winning every other major. It's important um, to, like, <laughs> note that, like, the – the guys that hit it really far and really straight are they, also the best players in the world. They so still like, have the advantage. Dustin Johnson plays well at Pebble Beach, everybody. Did you know that? So I think um, they're, they're, <laughs> we need to like reclassify DJ, Rory, JT, Brooks. Like They shouldn't be termed bombers. They should be just termed... like. They need a different term. They're the best players in the world. Yeah. So, right? like, yeah. like when you think bomber, think, like, guy who hits it really far who's ranked 40th in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So these and, – and all of those guys that you named, it's been said over and over, but it bears repeating that they're incredibly accurate relative to their length. And incredibly skilled in other facets yeah. of the game. They, like, they have complete games. Yeah. yeah. Like Brooks is one of the best players around the greens and one of the best players on the greens to yeah. go along with his immense power. And he's a top 10 strokes gain approach guy. So, yeah. And I think there's a tendency when you come to a course like Pebble that's a little bit shorter and where precision players have a real chance, I think there's a tendency to forget about the fact that those four or five players that we just mentioned are still the best players in the world like DJ. and are like still you, favored. You hear yeah. so little about DJ, and he was like a final round collapse away from running away from yeah. with the, 2010. The 2010. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and the, weather, the weather turned that day on Sunday in 2010, and uh, DJ was, was three up going into the final round, 
this is a different Dustin Johnson coming into this tournament, and uh, he he has a really really good chance. So, you know, before getting into some of the some of the the sexy picks, obviously I'm I'm thinking that one of those guys is probably going to win the golf tournament. But uh, you know, some interesting players to look at, players who might do well at this course would be Webb Simpson, Matt Kuchar. Is Ches Reeve in the field? Yeah. Shea yeah. Reve. Yeah. Oh, of course he is. But he could do well, right? <laughs> He's played well in the last two o- opens. I was talking yeah. with Polly on the shotgun start last night, and I kept bringing up Ches Reeve, and he, he wasn't buying it. But I, 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 <laughs> I on, buy Ches Reeve. He plays well at the AT&T, but he said one thing is overrating AT&T performance because there's only half the rounds are at Pebble. Yeah. But at the same time, like Ches Reeve, to me, fits this golf course. But he's not really good around the greens, but he's so good T2 green. Yes. Yeah, and he seems to do well in majors, right? He, he, he always seems to pop up on the leaderboard and everybody acts surprised, but he's, he's been there a few times. But yeah, I mean, the, so the, the 2019 Pro-Am, so the Pro-Am earlier this year, as, uh, as you mentioned, there are just two rounds at Pebble Beach, but the golf course was set up as narrow at the Pro-Am as it will be in the Open. And so looking at the, the players who did well isn't necessarily going to determine who you think is going to win, but, uh, but it's still kind of interesting. So the players who played best at the 2019 Pro-Am were at Pebble Beach were Siwoo Kim, who shot 10 under over his two rounds at Pebble Beach. Phil Mickelson, obviously, who, who won the golf, the big woo woo, could do well. Um, ball striker. Um, Phil Mickelson at, at minus nine, he obviously won the tournament, shot 65 on Sunday. And then some interesting names come up. Uh, Kevin Streelman, your favorite. Kevin Streelman has, too bad he's not in the field this week, but yeah. he has an unbelievable record at, at AT&T. He does well, yeah. And so it's just like players of this type keep popping up doing well at, at Pebble Beach. Uh, Scott, St- Scott Stallings did well, Lucas Glover, Michael Thompson, Jim Furyk, and then Cameron Champ. And that's, so it's a mixture of players. That's unbelievable. Cameron Champ in there. With a, and that's one of the, I think that's one of the cool things is like Pebble Beach doesn't discriminate against a type of player. That's exactly the point. Yeah, for sure. And so somebody like Cameron Champ, although he hasn't played well recently, someone, someone a, like that, I don't, I don't think he's, he's in the an field. alternate. I is think. he an alternate? Yeah. Yeah, in any case, uh, players like that could do well, but also Jim Furyk could uh, could do well. So, um, you know, the the door is open for a number of different players to win this Open. I think that it will be a really interesting tournament as a result. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think there's there's a wide range of players. Um, I like a really compelled to pick Webb Simpson, but I I wimped out last minute and picked DJ. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad choice, though. Yeah, Polly said something. He's like, you know, keep in mind, U.S. Opens, you know, usually don't yield fluke winners. Like, usually the winner of a U.S. Open is a very high-profile player, and that's what made me flip it at the last minute, even though Webb Simpson's won a U.S. Webb Simpson won a U.S. Open, He might yeah. be the least fluky player of all fluky <laughs> players. He won at Olympic Club, yeah. which has some of the features that we've been talking about. It's built on the side of a hill. It's got fairly small targets. I'm not saying Webb Simpson's going to win. It's just that 
I, this is a really good chance for him. It's also a really good chance for Matt Kuchar. Um, yeah. And that would be fascinating to see him win and, and people's reactions to that at this point in Matt Kuchar's career. It, it, especially like the juxtaposition of people's reactions when he came so close at Birkdale, right. where everybody's like, oh, man. Oh, look poor, at that. Look at the poor, family man. You know, we feel shucks. bad for him. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed for Matt Kuchar's public image since, uh, since Birkdale. But... If he's not thinking right now, this is probably my best chance to win a major, maybe for the rest of my career, I don't know what he's thinking, you know, because it, it's just, it, it would be, it would be perfect. Uh, a good him. juxtaposition of, of Northern California golf courses would be, is going to be this open at Pebble and Harding Park. Right. Yeah. Do you think Harding Park is going to be a little Beth Pagey? Maybe? I don't think even Beth Page, because Beth yeah. Page had like the tremendous topography. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think it's going to be like it's going to be like TPC. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it is a TPC. Well, it's TPC Harding Park. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, that uh, Harding Park could be set up in so many different ways, right? Because yeah. it's it, for daily play. It's uh, it's it's super playable, but I'm sure they're gonna do yeah. some do some nonsense to it. Yeah, and it just doesn't have like it, it. The the challenges presented are the complete opposite ones, where right. they're actually very simple challenges versus the pebble challenges, which we've you know talked for forty minutes about. Right. So, yeah. the um, yeah. I, so so, you know, Webb Webb also like you know when you look at his uh, major record heading in, you know he's he's finished in the top twenty in the last six majors. If you throw in the players, he has a win in another top five. I mean, it's... it's the signs are promising yeah, for Webb, definitely. Top five. And then I was talking to Roberto Castro yesterday on the range, and he was saying that Hamilton was, like, almost the best course you could... You couldn't play a better course in prep for, for Pebble than Hamilton. You hit a lot of different... Uh, you know, the variety of shots you hit off the tee is not like there's some X amount of iron holes, X amount of fairway. It would be like you hit driver, then you hit iron, then you hit fairway wood. You know, there was movement in the fairways, like thick, rough, like in, in pretty narrow. It, it, it was pretty fascinating to hear him talk about it. And you, the same exact characteristics and, and Webb almost won last week. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, he would be a really smart pick. It's almost starting to seem too smart. Yeah, I know. That's like, the problem. Him and Kuchar <laughs> just cute. like pop off right. the page. And yeah. with the U.S. Open, like, you know, you can just have one hole that completely derails everything. So right. that's like the crazy. I think that's one of the cool things with the U.S. Open is like in, in, in major golf in general, you see where like that, that line is so thin um, where, and I think this is what maybe some of the issue with Beth Page was, was there was no, there was no opportunity for, like, you never felt like there was going to be a triple, there was a triple bogey lurking. And that's something that at, at Pebble can happen in a split second. Right. Especially if the wind kicks up, mm-hmm. anything could happen. You know, um, I think that you'll see places on the course that are a little bit softened. You know, in previous U.S. Opens, the 14th green has been the site of some misery. You know, players just going back and forth, back and forth. And it's still really severe. It's still really hard. That false front, yeah. if you're 
you know, I landed a, an approach shot 10 feet short of that pin and it came back off the, um, and, and so I got the full experience there, but they did extend the back of that green. I believe yeah. there's more pinnable area. The same is true of the 17th hole. The 17th green in 2010 was basically impossible to hit. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they rebuilt the 13th green. There are the places on the golf course where you really saw hard ejections, guys just going back and forth and making quadruple bogey. I don't think you'll see as many of those, but at the same time, if the wind picks up at all, and the forecast does not seem to suggest that it really will, but if there's any weather whatsoever, things can turn in an instant and it will get really interesting and i hope it does because it will highlight some of the precision play it, it, the person who has the golfer who has the best control over his golf ball if the wind picks up will immediately become apparent yeah one of the things that's tough is that we're seeing the same wind almost every day like it yeah. looks like it's just going to be a west or west southwest 10 to 15 miles per yeah. hour it'll be i think it'll be fairly predictable conditions but it'll be beautiful you know i think the, the, the television the will be television product will pop it'll look awesome yeah, yeah. so all right this this will be the first of uh, of many pods so i hope you know, so yeah, yeah. well we'll uh, chop it up some more but it was uh good talking everybody follow garrett it's uh it's still g ford right g ford golf g ford golf uh at g ford golf on twitter and on instagram same thing yep um and uh excited to have him on he'll he'll have uh some a lot of uh written content on the website go up there you know, thefriedag.com and sign up if you haven't but uh we'll have a good championship we'll have a few more pods this week and uh and look forward to uh pebble beach hope this one hope this adds some color to people that haven't been out here absolutely thanks andy <laughs>